0: Financial advisor Justin
1: Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, December twenty-first, twenty twenty-two edition, and we are counting down the days till the new year. And as we as we end this year, I want to touch a bit on. You know, kind of sum up, I guess you could say, uh, this year, and it's only fitting that you're starting to see the unwind of Elon's empire to a degree. Right, he's alienating his fan base, um, and you see the stock price of Tesla suffering, and. If you have studied anything about why that price of Tesla stock has gone up, you know that it's because of a very large gamma squeeze. And gamma squeeze squeezes are reflexive, which is how it got to such insane valuations, but they're reflexive also in both ways. Um, so you're starting to see that unravel as we come to the close of this year, which is only fitting. But I want to broaden it out to a saying that really I only started to hear when when I started to, you know, dig into Tesla and the details of the company and uh, their very strong fan base, which granted now is dwindling. And it's the term FUD. FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. If you've been in any online circles, you probably have heard this term or or read this term. Um, And it really sums up the era that is now coming to a close, right? As all of these story stocks are unraveling, the big great one is finally coming down on its knees. And the, the simple explanation of what FUD is is when people that are fans of whether that's Bitcoin, Tesla, any other uh, investment, and they start throwing that term out there, um, it's really an online form of a ten- temper tantrum. You know, when your child throws a tantrum, they put their hands over their ears, and you know they scream la 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 la, right? They don't want to hear it. And it's truly the antithesis of what a good investor should do. Every investor should be listening to critics, to balancing balancing out the arguments on both sides. That's what investing is. It's not attaching yourself to a narrative and sticking to it at every turn and falling in love with a stock. It's one of the first lessons I ever got from my grandfather when I was in high school. One of the first sayings he ever taught me, don't fall in love with the stuff. And too many people over the past decade plus have, have done that. They've ignored all logic. They've ignored all skeptics. They ignored all valuation metrics threw it out the window. They fell in love with the stock, with the company, with an investment, maybe that's Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency. And they were unwilling and unable to entertain FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And guess what? Every investment has some level of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's what investing is. There's uncertainty. There are times when the holders of that asset have fear. And if you don't have any doubt in that investment, that means you've fallen in love. You're so head over heels that you aren't listening to the other side of the argument. And it doesn't mean that you're always going to be correct. You're not always going to be correct just by listening to both sides and entertaining both sides. You could weigh both sides and come out on the wrong side. It's okay. But if you're never looking at the other side, you're certain, you're 100% certain to eventually be wrong and eventually very wrong. And so, as we close this year, I wanted to really hit on that as we go into next year and urge you to not fall in love with the stock, to not cover your ears and ignore the FUD. What you want to do is embrace the FUD. Understand the FUD. Accept the FUD. Because that's really investing. So I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here on this radio show and podcast today to help you make the most of your investment dollars, your savings, and help you make good money decisions consistently. So I look forward to this Invest Talk podcast and hearing your finance and investment questions. And the phone number is always open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I've got a lot of material to discuss with you today. My focus point concerns the story. One generation of wealthy investors are betting the market will be higher in 2023, but some others are not. We're going to see, does that teach us anything? Also, what about active investing. We're going to look at some of the numbers about this year and how how do active funds, how, how are they going to fare? Most likely by the end of the year. Also, Congress is weighing some 401k retirement changes, which we're going to dig into. And then lastly, stock prices may be quoted in tenths of a penny coming soon. So we're going to look at that. We also have some voice bank questions ready to play. One is on fully paid lending and stock losses. So I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, your questions live at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Let's take a look at the market today. It was a solid update, 56 points up on the net on the SP, about one and a half percent in the broad market, small caps about 1.7%. Fairly balanced in value versus the growth side. If I'm being honest with you. Not really a big move on one side or the other. Just a nice solid one and a half to one and three quarters percent update uh, on the back of you know the the J- Japanese announcement at the end of uh, the close on Monday about raising their target raising their yield curve control from quarter basis, a quarter of a percent to half a percent, everyone was talking about how that was going to create some major problems. And I said, well, what major problems would that cause? You know, it was starting to cause a problem a couple of months ago when you had the blow with the Bank of England, Bank of Japan. And now they're doing what everyone said they should be doing back then, which is raising rates, which would strengthen the yen, weaken the dollar a little bit, Loosen up the financial conditions uh, in asset classes in in both of those countries, right here in the U.S. and in in, in Japan. And so the market was down after hours. I go, "What well, doesn't make sense?" And and you're starting to see that bounce here. And I, that was my sentiment really is this should give the market some liquidity uh, overall, even though rates are slightly higher across the board from a currency perspective. It's going to loosen uh, policy overall. So I think that was part of the reason you're also getting into that Santa Claus rally type of uh, effect. And we had some major support uh, on Monday. So uh, we'll see. And the, the most importantly, the market, the uh, corporate bond market really hasn't broken down. So that was the big story today. Nice, solid update going into the end of the year. Around the corner. Now we're heading into a break, and I welcome your finance and investment questions now at 8899 Chart.
2: In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why, now more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need Talk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each Invest Talk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download, and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience, 24-7 rain or shine during smooth sailing or on rough weather days the invest talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions you set the agenda don't forget to call invest talk 888-99-CHART
3: one of the most rewarding things i do each weekday is host the invest talk podcast i truly enjoy helping investors and I know that every question counts, and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hey, this is Andrew from Atlanta. I'm trying to call about Rocket Pharmaceuticals. This is a stock that my relative is telling me about. I'm curious if this uh, company's making money. Is this a good investment? If you could please advise. We'll listen to your response.
1: We'd love the show. Thanks. Bye. Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, first lesson you should always learn, all of you, never take investment advice from your cousin or your brother or your neighbor. That's usually a bad, bad advice. They're usually telling you that after they've done really, really well and it's already gone up. And, you know, they're they're also probably in love with the story. The boring investments, people usually don't brag about. Just Just how it is. Right? Rocket Pharmaceuticals, they develop uh, and commercialize curative first-in-class gene therapies. I don't know what that is. I don't know about their, their, their products. They don't earn any revenue. It's zero revenue business. It's a pharma company, $1.7 billion market cap. They don't make money. They lose money. So this is one of those gambles that their products are going to get through uh, Get through, you know, stage three trials, get to market. I haven't looked at this unless you know about the science behind it very well. You're a doctor, a scientist, a biologist, something to where you have some expertise here to make a decisive um, decision that is based in reality as opposed to just a story. Um, Then I wouldn't bet on it because you're just taking somebody's word and you have no idea whether that makes sense or not. Um, so this is a gamble. The technicals are fine. It's an uptrend. So, you know, markets starting to price in higher likelihood that things will, will pass. But that doesn't mean that's guaranteed to. You know, if they have some sort of study that suddenly does not beat expectations of efficacy, etc., then the stock will drop 30, 40, 50 percent overnight. That's how these, these biotechs work and so i wouldn't bet on it uh, unless i have a really good strong understanding of the science and you uh you think the dressable market will be good enough as well and that's another big part is okay yes it could get to market but based on the valuation will the total total revenue and profits from it make sense that's a big question no it's a it's a a fast-moving wednesday And the markets are constantly changing. We've talked about that. And that probably means you have finance and investment questions you need answered. So remember, you set the agenda. This hour is for you. So give us a call now at 888-99-SHARK.
4: Christmas will be here soon and then comes New Year's. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
1: Now, my main focus point concerns this story. One generation of wealthy investors are betting the market will be higher in 2023. And this is a survey by CNBC. And they surveyed... 761 millionaires and 56% expect the S&P 500 to decline by 10% next year. A third expect to decline in more than 15%. And these are investors with $1 million or more in investable assets. Now, when asked about the biggest risk to their personal wealth over the next year, the largest number, 28%, said the stock market. Those are probably... Retirees, most likely, right? that's where most of their assets are are held up. You know, if they're business owners, they're certainly probably more worried about their business. Now, a million investors own more than eighty five percent of individual held stocks. Eighty five percent. Think about that. And most are expecting returns of less than four percent, which is now less than which is less than the current uh, short term treasury rate. Nearly half of m- Millionaire investors have more cash in their portfolio than last year, 46%, and 17% hold a lot more, okay? So the majority have a little bit more or a lot more cash in their portfolios. 60% expect the economy to be weaker next year, but when you look at millennials, 81% of them expect their assets to be higher at the end of next year. they half, 46%, expect their assets to be up four, 10% or more. Whereas 61% of baby boomers expect their assets to be lower, much lower next year. So a big dichotomy there. Now, what this really tells you is sentiment overall is bombed out. And this is as of the end of November. And... You are colored by your experiences, right? Millennials have been investing in a time where asset prices generally go up. Older investors, baby boomers, they were around in the 70s. They saw what inflation did to asset markets where the S&P drifted sideways or lower for most of the 70s. And so what does this tell you? tells you near-term sentiment is bad. Remember, 85% of the, uh, of stocks are owned by these wealthy investors. And they've already sold a lot. And they're fairly pessimistic. Doesn't mean they're right. They haven't seen these levels since 8 09. And it doesn't mean that the market has to hold the bottom, but probably a lot closer to the bottom than we are at the top, right? So that's the lesson here, is just because you have a lot of money, seven figures plus, which to some people is a lot of money, other people's other people, a million dollars is not much anymore. But they also aren't. Aren't gospel just because you have a lot of money, they can make mistakes as well, and they often do. Now, when people take the time to leave an invest talk review on iTunes, I could like thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Chris from Boston says, Would first solar be a good short? Seems to be overvalued, and its cash flow seems weak, but it does not have much in terms of debt. Still don't think it will grow into the current value valuation in the short and medium term, despite the government support of the industry. Let's take a look. First solar. Well, near term, they're losing money. They lost money in two of the last three quarters. But next year earnings are expected to be $5 per share. Which even at those levels of earnings, they're talking about north of 30 times multiple. Now, they don't have a lot of debt. And that's one aspect of a, of a good short. I think a big one for me. Is I want the company... To become in dire financial straits, not just that they're overvalued. I want that's when the the value of the equity goes down dramatically. Is when they have a lot of debt. Suddenly they maybe can't service that debt. Bankruptcy risk rises dramatically, and now no longer are you you know uh, is the equity going to be worth very much? That's what I want to see in a short. And for solar really doesn't fit that bill. And I want them to be the one of the weakest within the industry. And first solar is one of the strongest. And while I do think that the effectiveness of solar is overblown, meaning, you know, it works in certain parts of the country, certain parts of the world, but not in others. You know, if you live in the Northeast, not a great place for solar, kind of a waste uh, in those areas, compared to, you know, the west, south, uh, of the US live in northern Europe not a great place for that um, but in general my point here is you're saying should I short it well it doesn't have a lot of debt it's one of the better ones within the industry and technicals are fine so yeah it's overvalued that you don't just short a stock just because it's overvalued it can easily get more overvalued. so no I would not short for solar now on the next Invest stock story behind this headline Tax loss harvesting done right could reduce your 2022 tax bill. After reducing your to 2022 investment gains, you can use additional losses to lower regular income by $3,000 and carry the remaining losses forward to future tax years. We'll get to that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. and ready to take your questions live at 888-99-SHARK. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? Keep your ride or die alive at eBayMotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Your objective is to work hard,
4: plan well, and achieve financial freedom. Right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call eight eight eight. Ninety-nine chart.
5: Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Kevin calling from La Crescenta. Um, Happy holidays to both of you. Um, Calling because I have a question about fully paid lending. I have my retirement account with Fidelity, and uh, I received an email asking if I was interested or enrolling in their fully paid lending program. Trying to see what the cons are of doing this. I understand it can also be done in a non-retirement account, but then uh, your dividends are no longer qualified dividends and turn into ordinary income. So I don't want to do that. But uh, I was looking into doing it with my retirement account and uh, seeing what you guys thought about uh, enrolling in this program just to get a little extra yield on on my holdings. If you could just share your thoughts on it, I'm not worried about Fidelity going out of business or going bankrupt. So are there any other cons with participating uh look forward to hearing your answer on the show thank you as always all right fully
1: paid lending um I I don't have a ton of experience to be honest with you um but I know it it's a way to earn some extra yield on securities that you probably are gonna hold anyway um so you know, and there's uh, I I know if you want to sell the lender line position, you have to kind of unwind, unwind, excuse me, the uh, the lending program. Um, you know, so you basically have to take it off this this program. Um, every institution's a a, a bit different um, in their their terms and how it works. So you definitely want to understand, uh, you know, how each broker uh, deals with it. You do waive uh, your voting rights, which most people don't uh, really care about. Um, So it is something that I think if if you're going to hold the position, you know you're going to hold it for a long period of time. Uh, I I don't see any much downside uh, to it, uh, except for, like you said, there are some tax implications that you have to be aware of. Thanks for the call. Now, let's touch a bit on active investing and i've said this for a while now that you know we're in a new era this is an, uh for, for basically since the financial crisis it's been an era where growth has outperformed value where passive has outperformed active where long duration assets have outperformed short duration assets and this year the opposites happened. we know values outperformed We know that short-duration assets are outperforming long-duration assets. But what about active management? Well, there's new stats. This is Goldman Sachs did an analysis on large cap mutual funds, and about 55% of actively, uh, actively managed ones are on pace to beat their benchmarks this year. That would be the largest share since 2007. And if you go and look at a chart of growth over value, the last time, or the the last the end of the era of where value out outperformed, was basically from two thousand peak of the dot com bubble 1.0 to two thousand seven. After two thousand seven, that's when growth started to outperform all the way until uh, basically double top last year. Actually, twenty twenty, and then you had a, a kind of a, a lower double top um, last year, and so. It's another piece of evidence, piece of data that shows you the era that everyone's been used to. If you're looking back over the last 10 years, it's over. Those large cap growth names, Amazon, Microsoft's, Apple's, Google's of the world, they dominate the S&P 500. And investors poured money into passive investments. And now about 55% of assets within mutual funds and ETFs are in passive vehicles, meaning they're tracking some sort of index. And so stock pickers who actively manage their, their funds struggle to compete. Because if you didn't own those top holdings, you you struggle. But now investors are bailing out of big tech because they're long duration assets And they're snapping up shares of shorter-duration assets, energy stocks, defensive stocks, that are doing better in this environment. But those stocks have a much smaller influence on the broad market. In fact, the percentage of stocks outperforming the S&P within the S&P as of Thursday was the highest in roughly two decades. The highest in roughly two decades. Because those larger-cap names are the ones that are dominating the returns because they're such a heavy influence. Now, the average US open ended mutual fund returned still down, but only down 5.8% through November. Right now, the SP is down about 20%. Pays for the worst year since 2008. Apple's down 25%, Amazon down 50, Microsoft down 30. For companies like Exxon, up 72, pg e up for 30, CF Industries, up 31, short duration assets. And the S&P, despite the shift, is still top heavy. The five largest co- companies still represent 20% of the index. That's above the peak level during the tech bubble, 1.0. And investors are still pouring money into passive funds and pulling money out of active funds, despite what you've seen this year, which means people are still tied to that old narrative. And that's unlikely to stick. All right. Now let's go talk to Sid in North Carolina. Let's talk about LC Lending Club.
5: Yes. Justin, thank you and happy holidays to you and Steve. Mm -hmm. And it's a great show every time enjoyed listening and every time learning something new so thank you for everything yeah this particular stock is in my radar in the recent past i'm not sure whether all numbers looks quite promising but the market cap and the cash are both equal is it possible and is this a good company for the long term and what could be the entry point if you think it's a good company thank you so much
1: all right, this is Lending Club. They engage in operating an online lending marketplace platform that connects borrowers and investors. So they're the middleman between um, lenders and borrowers. Um, and you can get high yield by investing with, uh, with them. Uh, and you can go borrow money and, you know, you are going to pay a high, uh, high, high rate of return uh, or high, high rate of interest, but you get access to capital problem is is that you know they were doing well when everyone had money when people were borrowing money and they getting checks from the government it was easy to pay off those loans and uh, Lending Club was doing just fine now the opposite is happening I actually think this is a fantastic short I would I'd be sure this is a short to me I think this is a bankrupt company at some point in the near future so uh, I would absolutely not be buying Lending Club. Remember, this is consumer lending going into a recession. You don't want to be highly exposed to consumer loans. 2009, they made two cents. They lost money almost every year before that. This is not a consistent business. It's not a type of business you want to be investing in highly levered, very cyclical history of spotty returns and and profitability. These are not the type of businesses you want to own, especially right now. They're all watching the calendar. There are about 10 days remaining this year. And the stock market has certainly been presenting what we call changing market dynamics. And that means you need to be serious about your financial future. You can't just look back and think the last two or three years is studying history. You have to look farther back, not just 10 years, not just 20 years, 30, 40, 50 plus years. understand you have different eras, different decades, different market regimes. And the question is, are you prepared for the current market regime? If you need help understanding how your portfolio is prepared, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company KP Financial based in Irvine, California, where we Provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting to send us a message to investtalk.com or call 800 557 oh 5461. We'd love to help you in a short period of time and get your portfolio optimized. This is Invest Now, wait for it. Over 48 million downloads to date. Thanks to you. And next up, another caller question, so hang on. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you
4: recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice.
5: When do I know the right time to take profits?
4: And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction.
3: I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot.
4: So don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART.
3: Hi, Stephen Justin, long-time caller here, and I love your show. Thank you guys very much for all you do to help us small investors out. I have a quick question. I know you've been recommending, and it's always a good thing to take your stock losses and stuff for tax reasons at the end of the year. To take the stock losses, I also know you need to whitewash rule for 31 days before you can buy them back again. How big of a loss do you need to have in a stock before you should take it? If you only have a stock loss and it's four, five, six hundred, is it worth doing that and then buying the stock back again? Or should you only do this if you have a loss of two, three, four thousand or more? Is there a set amount that's kind of recommended? And then again, is this just for long term holding stocks of one year or longer? Or should you even do this for short-term held stocks, maybe like for four, five, six, seven months or so? Just wondering more specific details on this sale rule to capture your losses for taxes. Thank you guys for your help. Look forward to hearing your answers on your podcast.
1: Well, it doesn't matter whether it's long or short. um, And the size is all relative. $400 $400 to one person might be small and it might be large to another. And it's all relative to what gains you have uh, on on the books so far uh, that you've taken for the year and how much tax you're willing to pay. Some people don't want to pay any tax. They want to try to offset all of their gains. And they're willing to wait 31 days to buy uh, some positions, the positions back. Now there's the risk that hey, 31 days later, maybe the stock's up dramatically and that wipes out uh, any savings in taxes that you might have. If you're in a high tax bracket, that's probably pretty low, (laughs) you know, it would have to really rally, but to happen. But then also, do you want to sell even more and and get uh, a net loss and you can write up to $3,000 a year on your taxes? If you have more, you know, uh, you have you have complete net losses, so it's really up to you. Uh, you know the way I think about it more is: Are you thinking? Are you on the fence of holding this name or not? Are you potentially going to sell it next year anyway. If you are, then maybe you take it. Take it now instead of the new year. So the the size, just like anything, is relative. A lot of people say, oh, I have $5,000 invested in this company. Okay, is that your all of your invested money? And therefore, it's 100% of your allocation of your portfolio? Or do you have a million dollars and $5,000? It's a very small percentage. Everything is relative. It's relative to what you want to pay in taxes and what your tax rate is. So it's more of a weighing all, all the different factors, and everyone's situation's is a bit different. Now, I think we can squeeze in another call question here, so let's try. Hey, this is Don from Durham, North Carolina. Thanks so much for the show.
3: I'm interested in uh, what you think of EMR, Emerson Electric. I see you know, the 50-day has gone above the 200-day. Recently, I like the company. I'm just a little nervous about whether it's really going to keep going or you think it's going to –
5: probably pull back. So I'm I'm looking for an entry point for EMR. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
1: All right. Emerson Electric, very solid, consistent company. If you look at its earnings throughout the years, it pretty much goes up every single year. Now, earnings are expected to be down next year, 21%, but back up 12% in 2024. Revenue growth at about 8% per quarter year over year, earnings up about 16%. And its relative strength right now is 91, so it's doing uh, very well. Not a huge dividend yield, 2.1%, but it's a consistent dividend payer and dividend grower. you look at its latest dividend amount, about $0.52, but that's been consistently growing since the 80s. Now, the good thing is they have return equity around 31%, very high. Modest debt, trading an enterprise value to EBITDA about 13, which we see as fairly valued. We like the name, but I don't think you're getting cheap here. You're getting it probably fairly valued. But the technicals are good. Like you said, the 50 days now above the 200 and the 100-day moving average. It's consolidating right around this 95 level, right below the 100 mark and looks like it wants the power higher macd is now above the zero line so trend is is up so i like emerson this is tight one of those really salt of the earth businesses what is for everyone else out there i, I know what emerson does because been around this business for 20 plus years but they design so and supply product technology and engineering services for industrial commercial and consumer markets they're in they they, they provide products for Automation and the electric space. So, uh, I'm heading to a break now. Give me a call at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
4: This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume, because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live.
1: 888-99-CHART. Go to Edgar. He's in San Diego. wants to talk about value investing.
5: Yes. Hi,
4: Justin. I've been uh, trying to find a mutual fund or... Excuse me, ETF that is value investing and covers uh, small, medium, large cap companies. Is there any such a ETF around
1: that covers large, mid, and small? I don't know any off the top of my head. I mean, there are a lot of you know value-focused funds. You know what we do for our clients, we're kind of in that way right we go kind of anywhere large mid and, and small um so most funds in general etfs or mutual funds you are going to buy they're going to be kind of pigeonholed with large medium or small that's just frankly what the vast majority of them are right like if you bring up a uh, vanguard value vtv that's going to be large gap value Right. But there are many small cap value funds. There are mid cap value funds. You know, uh, are there all cap value funds? I'm sure there are, but I don't know any off the top of my head, to be honest with you, or any that are any good. Uh, that's for sure. So I think you're just going to have to do your own research and, and try to find ones that span uh, all parts of uh, the, the market. Um, there's a lot of funds out there. So I'm sure there are ones that will do that. Um, but you're gonna have to do a little research. And frankly, like I said, I don't know any of the top of my head.
4: Oh, okay. The now the second yeah. question: if, uh, if uh, what, someone wants to go into a value funds, uh, would, would it be better to stay with medium cap? Or
1: Large or small? You- uh, s- small, small, medium. Uh, if I've said this many times over the past uh, many months, the spread uh, valuation between the large and small caps is near record highs. Now it's come off because small caps have started to outperform large caps, and that's also part of this shift. You know, talk about long duration versus short duration, value over growth, um, active versus passive. Another is small over large. And so the best category, if you're looking at the Morningstar style box, which is you know, basically how you can sum up uh, different style factors, small cap value is clearly the most attractive in the market right now. What does that mean you put all of your money in small cap value? Not necessarily, but you, you want to be overweight those areas. So that's the way you want to think about it. Thanks to the colleague. Now, lastly, let's touch on some changes that are coming down the pipe. uh, And it's very likely to be adopted because this was part of an SEC proposal unveiled last week. And there were multiple things to this proposal. But one was to change the tick size. And most stocks are traded now by the penny. You pay $57.22. Well, they're, they're trying to add another 10th of a cent there. So it'd be $57 22.2 cents. So what this is, what this is trying to do is lower that spread that a lot of the high frequency traders are making, right? The citadels of the world. And this is how long I've been doing this. This is not a new thing. When I started doing this, it was eight or sorry, sixteenths of a cent. Oh no, one eighth of a dollar, excuse me, one eighth of a dollar. All right? So I to trade at thirteen and a quarter, fifteen and five eighths. Then in ninety seven, they move it to one sixteenth of a dollar. And then eventually in two thousand one, to cents. So I've been doing it a long time and I've seen the spread between the bid and the ask shrink and it's up. And more. And this is actually a very good thing for investors, and will likely be adopted sometime in the next few years. We'll see when the exact date is. Uh, but that's positive. And these are the things the SEC should be working on consistently to make the cost of investing a lot lower. And this is uh, one thing that's coming down the pipe. And I love it. I'm Justin Klein. This is another Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime, at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial.
0: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security